Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Marketing Perspectives podcast. I'm Steve McDonald, your host. Today, we're on with Adam Figuera. Adam has an incredible background, starting with, I'm going to highlight, Adam, that you're a scuba instructor and that you'd probably rather be doing that than here recording this podcast right now. So we'll just state that as a fact. But Adam has been running marketing teams for the last 15 years across EdTech, MarTech, FinTech, you name it, and has a really interesting perspective on how to develop and foster teams, not only the marketing team, but Adam has a perspective that marketing and sales are actually one team. So this idea of us versus them, sales enablement, it's different when we're all working together as one. And I think, Adam, one of the things that before we hit the, the record button, you had mentioned that nobody had ever left your team before. And so you're fostering and have a way to, to foster and get the most out of people because when they're happy, they stay. When they're happy, they're the most productive. Yep. So maybe take off from there, but give us just a little bit more background if you want on you and start us out. Yeah, thanks a lot, Steve. I appreciate that. Um, thank you for having me on today's podcast. Um, I, I normally would say that I would rather be in the water diving. And in fact, I was in the water diving yesterday. But depending on where you are in the country, if you're in the mid-Atlantic where I am, you know that, well, the whole country right now has a crazy heat wave going on right now. So uh, 94 degrees in a dry suit was not the most comfortable way to spend uh, spend the day yesterday. But yes, I am <laughs> I am in the water a lot. Uh, Steve, as you said, I've been running marketing teams for the better part of 15 years, and uh, no one has ever voluntarily quit uh, working uh, on any of my teams at any of the companies that I've worked for. And it really comes down to understanding what motivates each person on your team and what they want to get out of a particular job, right? Um, some people work to live, some people live to work, but at the end of the day, everybody's motivated by different things, and you create great teams by understanding what it is that some what it is that motivates someone and your job as a leader is to try to create the conditions that will enable those people to thrive right and so if somebody wants a particular amount of flexibility in their careers in their job if you can give that to them you will make them more productive and happy and successful for the organization. Um, if somebody wants to get to a particular title or level within the organization, you set out the path that enables them to get there and that motivates them and gets them to work harder and be more productive for the organization. So it's a lot of not so much talking and dictating, but listening and working collaborative, collaboratively with the members of your team um, so that they can be successful for the org and they can be successful for, for you and for themselves. Now, that that sounds fantastic, right? I've never met a marketing leader that had more time in the day than they, than they needed, right? And you're talking now about spending time with people and you know, understanding their needs and assessing and checking in. And, but what you're finding is that that reaped rewards. And you used a term that I didn't write down. We were talking earlier about, you know, how much more productive that they are and how much happier they are. I mean, give us some kind of a, a sense for that. Like how much time you have to extra time 
over and above being an incredible marketing and sales leader, but how much time that takes, but what, what rewards come out of that? So there's obviously, I'm going to sort of answer your question, I think in a roundabout sort of way. I mean, as the leader of a team, you sort of got to decide what your, your leadership philosophy is, right? Um, do you lead from the front? Do you lead from behind, right? Are you, are you, you know, a dictator? And I, ha I hate to use that term, but there are dictatorial, you know, marketing leaders out there. My style is leading from behind, which specifically means, I mean, what, what does that mean, right? Is that just, you know, catchphrase? What does it mean? Um, it means that for my teams, I will lay out what the goals and objectives are, what it is that we need to achieve as a team. I'll go one step further, which is I will set the guardrails, meaning, you know, we have to stay, we have to stay within, you know, these boundaries. But beyond that, I provide the space and flexibility to the people on my team to be creative and figure out the best way to do it. And I consider myself at that point, a tutor, right? I'll answer questions. I'll provide guidance. I'll provide recommendations, but treat it just as one person's recommendation, not, you know, not, 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 not your boss or your manager, but give people that space, give them that flexibility and let them be creative. And when you do that, what I think you'll find is that you're unleashing um, productivity um, across your team because people feel a vested interest in the outcomes of their projects. They were empowered. It's their work. It's their name that's going, you know, on it. Um, and there's no need to, and there's no need to micromanage at that point. And it takes a certain quality in the leader of the team to say, even though I would have done this particular task or project differently, it doesn't make my way better. And if you create that sort of psychological safety on the team, and that's really what it's about. That's what we're talking about is psychological safety for a team, you unleash productivity for them. And so I find, I mean, not only do I have the time to do have those interactions and those meetings and those one-on-ones with the people on my team, I think it's actually the best way to spend my time. So I like a term that you just said there, psychological safety, because we've all worked for the micromanager We've all worked for the person that this is the way that it's done, right? And you feel like there's no room for creativity. And so what you end up doing is you kind of crawl back into your cave and, yep. you, and you survive and you just execute, right? Where in marketing, if there's, if there's ever a, a career path that we all got into is because we wanted to be creative, right? Yep. We wanted to be around creativity. And so what you're saying is the opposite of stifling creativity is you're letting people say, I have ideas that matter. Yep. And, and you're going to expect that they have those ideas. That's what I'm hearing from you. If that's I, I, absolutely, absolutely. I, 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 if I demand anything, I, I demand that they have those ideas. Right. Um, and the other thing, the other thing that comes into play, Steve, is, you know, the leader has to Except, and I think most of the people on listening to this podcast will agree because we're all marketers, right? 
the leader has to accept that not every idea is going to is going to pan out. Not every idea is going to work. Um, and you got you got to accept that. You got to give you got to you got to have a culture of experimentation. You have to have a culture that embraces even celebrates, you know, failure. That is what keeps a high level of creativity, you know, on the team. Because as soon as you start, well, that, that, you know what, that idea is dumb. Uh, we yeah. tried that before at my last company. It didn't work. You know, he, here's why. As soon as you stifle creativity like that, you're not just stifling it on that particular task or project. You're, 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 you're stifling the entire person. Right. And you're not going to get great ideas out of them before. You're not going to get that experimentation. You're not going to get that culture of embracing failure. And the worst thing that you can do on a marketing team, right? Because marketers are, you know, they are naturally creative people. The worst thing that you can do on a marketing team is micromanage because it is the, it is the number one destroyer of productivity. You will get the bare minimum out of people because the the extreme the extreme end of this is people won't do anything at all because there's no point there's no point unless the manager tells them what to do and how to do it they don't work right and so now the job of the team leader at that point is is literally if you have a team of 5 people working 40 hours a week to somehow come up with you know 300 hours of of work for everyone. I'm not good at math, by the way, um, coming up with that amount of work <laughs> for, for people, because then that's, then, and that's the way that you're running a team. So I, I, I create cultures of, um, you know, creativity, right. Um, create courageous creativity is a term that somebody else used. I didn't, I didn't come up with that to be clear. Um, but create courageous creativity embracing, you know, failure and letting people do things a different way. Even if you, the leader would do them some other way, you get massive amounts of productivity. If you, if on those rare occasions, you do need to ask somebody, Hey, like it, I, I realize I'm calling you late. It's 8 PM, but we have a little bit of a fire drill. We, we've got to get this done before they're, they're happy to do it. Yeah. Right. Um, because they have that trust, you know, and that relationship, you know, on the team. And I think to sort of sum it up, well, that's, me, that, that, yeah, go ahead. Well, what I wanted to do is, because part of our, our pre-conversation we had here was that creativity and how it gets applied, right? And yeah. one of the things that I wanted you to explain a little bit more was that your perspective is that Absolutely. It's not about MQLs. It's not about throwing MQLs over the wall, jobs done, but it's about deeply, deeply working into the pipeline with sales yeah. and being creative on that. And that team that you've now talked about and fostering that is highly creative and highly productive and having a big portion of what that team is doing is working with sales. Tell us a little bit about that, if you could. Yeah. So earlier in my career, one of my mentors said, uh, and I've never forgotten it. My mentor said, a salesperson will behave however you pay them to behave. 
right? So if that person's goal, if the, if the goal was closed one deals, if it was, you know, if it was the length of the deal cycle, whatever it was, however, however they were compensated was what they were going to optimize for in their right. activity, in their activity stream. But the reality is true for marketers as well, right? So whether the lead, whether the goal is leads, MQLs, SQLs, whatever it is that you want to call them, um, it lends itself to a different set of activities and a different set of incentives and motivations. And where I have seen and had the most success um, on my teams is we hold ourselves accountable to a number that is deep inside the sales funnel, right? So gone are the days, you know, we sort of talked about this earlier, but gone are the days of washing our hands with an MQL number and saying, I've, I've done my job, it's yours sales team, you know, have at it. Um, it ultimately creates um, two teams, sales and marketing, that are actually at odds with each other and to a degree in competition with each other. Um, and, and, and success doesn't take place, right? Leads don't get proper, you know, handling, proper, you know, follow-up, which creates this sort of vicious, you know, cycle, right, of, um, you know, nobody following up on, on marketing leads and marketing, looking at sales saying, you guys, what are you, what are you guys doing? If only you followed up on our leads, you'd be hitting our numbers. And the sales team looking at marketing saying, well, if only you gave us better leads, right. <laughs> we, we would do a better job with them. Um, if you make yourself accountable deeper, you know, in the funnel, it creates a natural alignment between sales and marketing. And so most recently what I've been doing, but I've done it more than once, but most recently what I've been doing is, holding the marketing team accountable for, um, you know, what we call uh, the, you know, the, the SQO, sales qualified opportunities. Now that's a term that goes by, it has a different acronym and a different name at, at different organizations. But ultimately what it means is there's probably at least two conversations that have happened with someone in sales before a lead gets the designation of SQO. And if the marketing team is actually tied to that number, then it necessitates a better, healthier, more productive relationship with sales. Meaning specifically, right? And let's get specific. It's making sure that leads are contacted quickly in a timely manner. It's making sure that the quality of the outreach sequence is high, that it has the right touches, that it has the right types of touches, that marketing has had its eyes on the emails and scripts that are used and it's keeping tabs on has a meeting with this particular lead been set? Okay, I see that it was set for yesterday. Did it happen? If it didn't happen, why? Has a follow-up, has it been rescheduled, right? If not, why? What, what have we waited? Why, why have we waited to get back to this prospect to try to schedule, to, to try to reschedule the meeting? 
Oh, if the person's blown us off for two to three times, okay, let's go back to the drawing board. What is it that we can do? Or why is it that we think they're blowing us off in the first place? Is there a different message that we can send, right? But it's creating those closed feedback loops with sales um, that lead to much, much higher numbers, right? Because you've got two teams that are working in concert instead of at opposition to each other. And how do how do you work that closely? I mean, you're talking about data that's in the CRM or in the head of the salesperson, right? That that usually a marketing person doesn't know information like when was the next meeting scheduled? Did it happen? It didn't. When was the next outreach? Like this is very highly detailed information. How are you working closely? How does that work inside of your teams? I tell my marketing teams to think of themselves as air traffic controllers. So the job of an air traffic controller is at any given time to know where the planes are at the airport, who's on the runway, who's on the ramps, who's getting ready to be pushed back from the gate, who needs to tow into the gate, who's been stuck for four hours, right, sitting there because the, 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 you know, because the terminal is jammed or clogged, but it's the responsibility of air traffic control to know where every plane is at every moment. Um, And you can, for the marketer, the equivalent of the plane is the lead. Know where they are, right? The term that we use for it is follow your lead, right? Your, your lead, the download that you got on a particular form doesn't matter at all. Let's be clear about this for a second. Your lead doesn't matter at all if it didn't become closed one business. Because anything short of closed one business, it did it really didn't do anything for the organization. All there is is a cost tied to it. So you have every incentive in the world to follow your lead through the funnel as much as possible to bring those leads across the finish line into closed one status. I mean, at the at the end of the day, the ultimate thing that marketing wants to to report on to the organization is um, sourced revenue and influenced revenue. So sourced revenue being, you know, revenue leads that came directly through, you know, a marketing activity with the lead form in an event, whatever it is. But then there's also influenced revenue, which is it may have come from somewhere else, right? May have ultimately been sourced by someone in sales, but I can demonstrate that they attended three webinars, downloaded two pieces of content, had dinner with us in Las Vegas and, you know, something else, whatever it is. Um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if there's not revenue behind it. And so follow your lead the way that an air traffic controller follows the airplanes. That is what the responsibility is of the team. And I can only imagine that sales appreciates this. Instead, it could be, oh, you're in my, you're in my space. You're in, I'm going to follow up with this person when, when I'm ready to, blah, blah, blah. But I'm imagining that the conversation with sales isn't, hey, have you done this? Have you done this? More along the lines of, how do we help you do this? What do yeah. you need to get this done? It's right? what do you, it's, we're what resources you here for you. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's, that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, it's what do you need? I mean, it, on a base level, yes, there is a service level agreement. Right. So I want you to be, I want you to reach out to inbound leads within, you know, 60 minutes of, you know, when they come in. 
Yeah, that's a good best practice. I want to make sure that we're hitting that and we can track that in an automated way through the CRM. Um, but beyond that, it's it's really thinking creatively. What what do you need to be successful, right? I always describe marketing as a resource for the organization, right? We don't exist for ourselves. And while we exist to help sales, we don't exist just to help sales. So marketing is a resource for the organization. What does the organization need to be successful? And that's what we need to, that's what we need to do. The other thing that we do though, is, and this is part of the SLA, which is when a lead is hand, was, has been handed over to sales, uh, sales has two weeks to get, uh, get a meeting booked and get, get, get the meeting to actually take place. After two weeks, we would take the lead back to marketing. So normal, normal organizations, I think, might classify that as um, de dead lead, right? Uh, we, we just take them back and we work them, you know, a different way. And oftentimes that just means me. <laughs> I'll reach out to the lead directly with a different message. And obviously they see, I mean, let's be honest for a second. People respond to higher titles in the organizations. So they see my title and they're like, sure, I'll, I'll take a meeting with the vice president of marketing. And it seems it's going to be an executive level conversation. I've completely resurrected leads, you know, that way. I get the conversations restarted and then I hand it back over to sales again. So again, it all, it all, you know, falls under the umbrella though, of, you know, working as a single team, working as a single unit. So let me ask you, uh, it was something that we talked about before uh, we hit the record button as well. And that was that if your marketing is a resource to the organization, right? Pretty much all demand generation is fueled by content. Mm -hmm. So in this process of being a resource yep. and overall the success of the company in making the sale, getting the revenue, growing the business, mm -hmm. if I was going to ask you to rate the importance of content, like one, not important at all to the overall success of the company, yeah. 10, vital to the overall importance or the success of the company, what would you rate it as and why? So content is a 10. And the why behind that is, you know, everybody knows, and this is especially in B2B, but I, I think it's true in B2C as well, right? Buyers go through a three-step decision-making process that consists of, do I want this at all? Do I want this now? Do I want this from you? And so... If your marketing is purely transactional, you're really just focusing on that final step. Do I want this from you? <laughs> the buyer hasn't gotten there yet. Right. 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 And so the role of, of content, but let's be clear, good content, high quality content, true thought leadership is to build awareness um, and interest around those, those first two questions, which is, do I want this at all? And do I want this now? And it actually impacts the, do I want it from you? Because I yeah. want it to come from people that I trust. Yeah. In fact, emotion plays over 50% of the role in yeah. any B2B purchase, right? Because basically we're asking them to take a risk, right? 
their yeah. their jobs, their careers, the decisions that they're making to hire, you know, that's a risk. And so it comes with emotion. Um, yep. But let me ask you one last question here, because I have a feeling we could go on all afternoon. But if I were to ask you what you would want the takeaway from this conversation to be for our listeners, what would you want them to remember? Every activity in marketing ought to be measured in terms of sales. So for example, and you were just asking a second ago about you know, the importance of content marketing. We've all talked to content marketers before. Well, let's talk, let's talk about your goals as a content marketer. Well, I'm going to do four blog posts per month. I'm going to do three eBooks and I'm going to do two webinars. That does not matter, right? We ought to be thinking about this in terms of um, I'm going to write one white paper and it's going to generate 17 sales qualified opportunities for the business. Ah, okay. Now we're getting somewhere, right? because there's something real behind it. Um, it's not about the number of assets that you produce. It's about what it's doing for the business. And if I force you to think in terms of something like sales qualified opportunities, um, it's probably going to force you to think a different way about the, the types of content that you write, the quality that you put into it, the research that you put into it, right? And so forth. At the end of the day, if it's not moving the needle in terms of sales, you were probably better off not doing it at all. And that's, that's the hard part, right? So lots of companies uh, these days, and you had mentioned this, they have a content person or they have a content team, right? So the idea of producing content, everybody's producing content right now. But yep. one of the typical things that sales looks back at marketing and says is your content is irrelevant right? Like your content's not hitting the mark. Your content's not working. You're like, it's, I don't even know of all your content. Like, so it's easy to create the content that talks yeah. about your baby, that talks about the product, that talks about how good you are versus the competition. And that's really important stuff Yeah. at the right stage. Do I right. want to buy from you? Right. But you just talked about the other two questions, right? That we've got to, we got to, we got to get into the buying process earlier on because yeah. it's getting longer and longer the or the 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 bigger is the percentage of buyers going through their decision making process before ever even wanting to talk to a salesperson yep so what that means is we need they're researching content we need better content everybody's producing content oh we even need to be producing better content. Um, yeah. And, so. and you know what? There's something to be said for, I mean, the number one, the number one challenge that every marketer has is how, how are you going to measure this and how are you going to goal this, right? Um, and I've never been a marketer for whom it's not a major point of frustration, you know, including myself, because to, as you said, Steve, buyers want to self-educate, Right. So you've got to create, you've got to create the content and the resources and the assets that make this easy for them to do. Well, there's actually something to be said for you probably shouldn't gate it at all. Yeah. Because as soon as you put a gate around something, you're you're limiting 
quite quite dramatically i i think the number of people who will fill out you know your form and and request it because they all know what happens when they hit submit on only three percent of people fill out forms yeah so there's something to be said for you ought to you need to create all this but you shouldn't put a gate on any of it that's going to uh, enable a lot more people to educate themselves more easily, but it creates the conundrum of, well, then how do I know what marketing is driving for the organization? And I think there is a certain leap of faith for CEOs and CFOs, which is to say, at the end of the day, what matters most for the business is revenue. And it matters a little less who originated this lead and who originated that? You need to just make it as easy as possible for buyers to self-educate. And at the end of the day, look at revenue because gates bring in leads and leads are measurable, but you're going to cut off a portion of the market. When's the, you know For the CMOs who are listening, when's the last time the CMO filled out somebody's, somebody's web form? The fact is they don't. They don't yeah. fill them out. Yeah, it's it's so true. We're we're driven by the MQL. We're driven by the form fill, right? Um, Adam, I have to tell you, this has been enlightening. I love the approach that you take on building the team and inspiring creativity, and then focusing that creativity down funnel. I think that's uh, an inspiring message. That's my big takeaway from uh, from this conversation myself. So thank you for being on and and sharing with us. Thank you for having me, Steve. I really appreciate it. And thanks to everyone for listening in as well.